Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One day, whenever I was in primary school, I had to come home because I was sick. Uh, and mum and dad both worked out uh, and so I went to granny's house instead uh, and as you can imagine I was spoiled that day uh, I was well looked after I was tucked into bed and rather than doing homework because that's always the least preferred option uh, rather than doing homework I decided uh, that I would start to read through the whole bible on that one sick day. I don't know how long I thought I was going to be off school sick for, but that's besides the point. And so I started into Genesis 1 and I read all about creation, then Genesis 2 and life in the Garden of Eden, then Genesis 3 and the temptation and fall, Genesis 4 and the story of Cain and Abel, and then Genesis chapter 5 brought my reading through the whole Bible to an end. All those names, all those numbers, I think I actually ended up doing homework instead that day. Perhaps your heart sank as you looked up the reading or as you heard me attempting to read it. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself this morning, what could there possibly be in that chapter that would be any way useful or helpful? But please don't write it off too quickly. Remember at what we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God breathed. Not just the favourite passages that we have, not just the bits that we know really well, but even the bits that may seem difficult or, dare we say it, appear boring. So even this chapter today is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so we need to change that question from asking what could there possibly be in this chapter that will be useful and helpful and instead ask what is God saying through his breathed out word? What is he teaching us today? The first thing to notice is that we've reached the next section of Genesis when we come to chapter 5 and verse 1. And if you don't have it open, perhaps you would on page 7. It begins with those words, this is the written account of Adam's line. Throughout the book of Genesis, we have similar phrases marking out the different sections of the ongoing story. The last section began in chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And the next is in chapter 6, verse 9, just beyond our reading today. This is the account of Noah. So what we're dealing with today is a new section. It's a complete section. And we're being told about Adam's line, his family tree. 
Uh, The last time uh, we were in Genesis, you might remember, uh, we heard about the dead end uh, of the family line of Cain, who had murdered his brother Abel. But now we're back on the main line. Uh, We're continuing the ongoing hunt for the promised saviour and serpent crusher down through the generations of Adam's family. And in verses 1 to 2, we get a recap of the story so far, a reminder of where we come from. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Now man there, that means male and female, means mankind or, or people. And who are we? We are created by God. We are made in his likeness. We are made male or female. And not like Facebook with the custom third option. Write in your own gender. I wonder, have you noticed though, that Adam had a son in his own likeness in verse 3? We are made in, in God's image, uh, marred as it is now by our sin. But we are also in Adam's likeness. We are like our parents and like our first parents as well. All of us are in Adam, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And we share in his sin by nature and by choice. Now from verse 3 on, we see a pattern emerging. When so-and-so had lived so many years... He became the father of your man. And after that, he lived so many more years, had other sons and daughters, lived so long in total, and then he died. That's the pattern of that chapter. And the numbers may be different in each instance, but the pattern is the same. Now, some people read the ages of these men and they think, that's obviously nonsense. Adam living 930 years. Methuselah living 969 years. Surely that's not true. And so some people will try to come up with other ways of reckoning with this information. Maybe they counted years differently to us. Maybe we need to divide them all by 10. But that wouldn't really work either. Because then you would have Enoch having a a child when he was six and a half. Well, that wouldn't work. Plus, over the page in in chapter 3, God limits man's lifespan to 120 years. You have these uh, long lives, and then in in 6.3, God says, no more. 120 years is your limit. This family tree is showing us the names of the succeeding generations. Has anyone seen Downton? Uh, Downton Abbey? Anyone been to the cinema seen Downton? Some people have. Uh, did you stay to the very end and see all the list of names as they scrolled up on the screen? No, normally whenever the film's over you just want to get out of there, don't you? You don't really care about all the people's names as they roll up the screen. But imagine that your aunt or your cousin or, or somebody had worked on the film then you would take an interest, wouldn't you? You'd want to make sure that you saw their name uh, in at the cinema. 
Uh, it's a bit like here. You see, these are part of our family tree. This is part of our story of faith. But the thing that most stands out from this repeated pattern of names and ages is that no matter how old they were, eventually their years came to an end. And then he died. And then he died, is how each of those paragraphs end. And the pattern is demonstrating what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 14, a death reigned from the time of Adam. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Genesis is realistic that in the midst of life, we are in death. And it's coming someday for us as well. Genesis 5 is telling us about the grief of being part of the human family. We're so used to patterns, maybe in wallpaper or curtains or a check shirt or a paisley tie or something like that, uh, wherever you might see patterns. And when you recognise the pattern, then it's very noticeable when something doesn't fit the pattern. I wonder, did you notice the bits that don't fit into the pattern of this family tree? First of all, there's Enoch uh, in verse 21. His paragraph starts like all the others, but then it goes a bit different. Uh, So it says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more, because God took him away. Enoch is different to everybody else in this family tree. We're told that he walked with God, that he was in such a close relationship with God that he walked with him. And that he was in step with God. And then, did you notice, we're not told that he died. Instead, he was no more because God took him away. So, what happened? Why did it happen? Well, to find the answer, we we need to look at Hebrews 11, verse 5. Don't turn to it. I'll read it to you now. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Enoch didn't die in the usual way. Instead, God took him to heaven as one who pleased him. He wasn't perfect. He was a sinner in this family line of Adam. And yet he had such faith in God that he was commended by God. He was pleased. Uh, he, he, He pleased God. But there's another bit here that doesn't fit this usual pattern. Did you notice that we're not told of any words uh, that any of these 
uh, people spoke. No one speaks until we get to Lamech at the bottom of the page and over the page. Lamech has a son. He names him Noah and then tells us why at the top of the next page. He said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. The name Noah means comfort. And it's Lamech's hope that Noah will bring comfort. As each generation goes by, there is grief because death is reigning. And there is grief in the labor and painful toil because of the curse brought about by Adam's sin. The pattern of human existence is one of grief. And Lamech is desperate for some comfort. He's looking for hope. He's looking for some change in our circumstances to come. Because the pattern of human existence is grief. And we see in those opening verses of chapter 6 that it also grieves God's heart. Don't worry about the Nephilim or the sons of God and the daughters of men. Uh, We're not going to look at those this morning. Uh, But look at verse 5 in chapter 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Every waking moment, every thought throughout the day was always and only ever towards evil. Wickedness having free reign. I wonder, can you imagine living in such a society. But actually it doesn't take much imagination, does it? It sounds a bit like the world that we live in today. The theological term is total depravity. Every part of us is infected by sin and inclined towards wickedness. And it grieves God's heart. We nearly always feel at the effects of, others, of other people's sin toward us. And it pains us. And we're probably aware of the effects of our sin on other people. Maybe less so. But we still have some awareness. But have we considered the effect of our sin on God? The God who made us. The God who blesses us. Only for us to turn around and use and abuse his gifts. To exploit and manipulate others. To be self-serving and selfish at every turn. God is grieved by it. And so he decides to wipe out mankind from the face of the earth. Everyone is already under the sentence of death. And it will be executed in one single sweep. 
It's the end of the world as they knew it. But in the midst of all this grief over death and sin and our wickedness, grace is also found. The death penalty has been passed on all mankind. But, verse 8, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. It's not that Noah was different to anybody else. He was just as much a sinner. It's not that Noah was more religious or tried harder or prayed more or was better. He was a sinner. He too deserved to die. But grace found him. God was gracious to him. And God's grace is given to us as well. We too stand condemned. We too deserve the penalty of death because we are in Adam's family. We too are inclined to evil all the time. By nature and choice. And yet God's grace comes to us in the Lord Jesus. Who took our sin upon himself. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the grace that we have from the Lord. He has dealt with our sin. He has given us comfort. We need only receive it with open hands and a thankful heart as we trust his death for us. In among those hard to pronounce names in among those repeating uh, patterns in amongst the grief of living in this world as children of Adam we discover the grace that reaches for us to make us children of God saved by him and comforted in him Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that in the midst of our grief, in the midst of your grief, you have reached out to us with your grace. We pray that we would know that grace today. That it would be at work to change our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.